0: Convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash gold. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder makes it fast and easy to get affordable term life insurance without leaving home. Just go to ladderlife.com slash goal today to see if you're instantly approved was a brutal week in global stock markets. The European markets were down about 7%. That's the worst week since March of 2020. That was the beginning of the COVID crisis. And in fact, the euro currency was down about 3% on the week. So in U.S. dollar terms, you're talking about a 10% decline in one week. As I mentioned on the last podcast, the reason for the selling in Europe is because European companies and the European economy is more exposed directly to what's going on in Russia than the United States or other Asian markets. And in fact, what's also going on is a lot of the rotation that was taking place prior to the Russia crisis, where people were selling US stocks and buying European stocks, That's now being reversed, and that's obvious by looking at the currency. I think this is a correction in that trend. I don't think it is a reversal. I think there's a powerful force that is going to continue to move money out of U.S. assets, even if it's temporarily being directed back to U.S. assets by this perception and the strength of the dollar. That helped U.S. markets weather this weekly storm a lot better than the European markets. The Dow and S&P- were only down about 1.3% on the week. Now from their highs, the Dow down 9%, S&P down 10.2%. Russell 2000 and NASDAQ fared worse. They were down about 2.5% on the week. Off the highs, the Russell 2000 down 19%, almost bear market, and the NASDAQ down 17.5%. But the money-losing high-risk companies, as I suspected... On my last podcast, that dead cat bounce is over. Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF was down 11% on the week, so a bigger decline than the European markets. And in fact, matching that decline exactly was the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust that was also down 11%, very high correlation, as I mentioned a long time ago, between the ARC Innovation ETF and the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. In fact, ARC is down 62% from its high. The Bitcoin Trust is down 55% in sharp contrast to what was going on with Bitcoin. And as I'm recording this, Bitcoin's around 39,000. We broke below 40,000. Gold had a big week up 4%. We closed the week just over $1,970 an ounce. This is the highest price since August of 2020, but in terms of euros, it is an all-time record high price of gold. Gold stocks also had a good week. The GDX was up eight and three quarters percent. The junior gold mining stocks up eight and a half percent. Now normally, you would see an even bigger move in the juniors than the seniors. But in the type of market we have now, you're not seeing that. But I do think if the gold market continues to shine, and I think it will, we're going to see a bigger move in these smaller stocks. In fact, when it comes to gold and Bitcoin, gold is really taking over the limelight now. This has been the first real major test for Bitcoin, and it failed. I don't think it's going to get another shot. Bitcoin has failed on every promise that promoters made. It's not a store of value. It's not a safe haven. It's not an inflation hedge. It's not digital gold. It's not a non-correlated asset. It's nothing. And in fact, if you think about it from the perspective of Russians or anybody else, if you're looking for a safe place to put your assets because you're afraid that some foreign government is going to seize it. Gold is where you want to go. I mean, these Russian oligarchs that are afraid of having their assets confiscated, they're not going to take a chance on something as risky as Bitcoin. You can't put real money into Bitcoin, but you can put a lot of real money into gold and keep it safe. In fact, this is how I think this is going to backfire on the dollar. The dollar's going up right now. Enjoy that rally while it lasts, because everything that's happening is going to put the dollar's reserve currency status into jeopardy. Think about it. From China's perspective, you're watching what's going on. The U.S. doesn't approve of what Russia is doing in the Ukraine. And I don't approve of it either, but that's neither here nor there. But the U.S. doesn't approve of it. And look at how Russia is being punished. The reason Russia is vulnerable is because they have reserves and other assets that foreign governments can seize. I mean, we're shutting them out of the U.S. SWIFT system. We're seizing their dollar reserves. I mean, Russia is holding on to these foreign currency reserves in case there's an emergency. Well, here there's an emergency. The ruble is crashing and they have no access to those reserves. In fact, the only central bank that's still working with Russia is China and I wonder if we're going to retaliate against China now potentially the Biden administration is not dumb enough to do that but even if we don't directly retaliate now the idea that we might do something similar clearly is not going to sit well with the Chinese who have trillions of U.S. dollars invested in U.S. treasures or other assets that we may just decide to seize or default on if we don't agree with something that the Chinese are doing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be invading another country. I mean, we could flex this muscle whenever we want. And I don't think China enjoys basically putting a noose around its neck and throwing the other end to the United States. So I think you're going to see the Chinese really stepping up their selling of US dollars and US treasuries at a time where the Federal Reserve is saying that it's going to be reducing its balance sheet. It's not going to be rolling over maturing treasuries. And so it's going to be very difficult for the US government to unload these treasuries in that environment because we're still running these record deficits. And I also think we have the potential if we're going to bring Russia and China even closer together. India might end up being pulled into that. That's about 40% of the world population that we may be alienating and pushing out of the US dollar system to our own detriment because we depend on the dollar's reserve currency status. That's the reason that the US market is holding up a lot better than it is. But if that rug gets pulled out from under it, look out below. Look at other markets on the week. oil prices. Up 26%. We close at $115 a barrel for the price of oil. Copper, by the way, hit a record high. Wheat is surging. So massive increases in food and energy prices. Now, I you know a lot of people are talking about how this is inflationary. This is not inflationary. Oil price is going up. Food prices is going up. That's not inflationary. Because what happens is that if consumers have to spend more money to eat, or heat their homes or drive their cars, they have less money available to buy other stuff. And so the prices of the things that you're not buying go down. And so there is no net overall increase in prices. What makes the prices go up is when the central bank responds to rising energy prices or rising food prices by printing more money, which is what they're going to do. Because as consumers have to tighten their belts because food is so expensive because home heating oil or gasoline are so expensive and they cut back spending on everything else, that causes a recession. And that results in the Fed printing more money. And that's what's inflationary. How the government responds to rising food and energy prices causes inflation, not the increase in prices themselves. And by the way, the same thing may happen in the Eurozone. You know, I was pointing out the absurdity of the ECB claiming that they needed more inflation because they weren't close enough to 2%. They needed inflation that was close to but below 2% and they were almost there but not quite. They weren't at one9 and so they were saying we need more inflation. We have to solve this problem. It was a non-existent problem. It didn't need a solution but now they have a real problem and there is no solution because now inflation is way above 2% and it's going to keep on rising. What are they going to do about that problem? Because so far, nobody at the ECB is talking about fight inflation. No one is talking about raising interest rates or shrinking the balance sheet, but it's going to have to happen because as bad as it is in the US right now, it's actually worse over there. Prices are rising more because of the weak euro. They're dealing with record high oil prices. We're not at a record high yet in America. Now we may be next week. The record high is about $148 a barrel. We could get there next week. But obviously, if the euro keeps falling against the dollar, it's going to be even more pain over in Europe. The dollar index was up about 2% on the week. Obviously, the biggest mover being the euro. But as the dollar was going up, treasury yields were going down. That was also part of the flight into the U.S. It was a flight into U.S. treasuries. 10-year yields dropped from 1.99 to 1.724. Yield on the 30-year went from 2.3% to 2.15 lost in all the noise though was the jobs report that was released today and it came out better than expected the consensus was for a gain of 390,000 non-farm payrolls for the month and that would have followed 467,000 new jobs in January there was a slight upward revision of the January number up to 481,000, but the February number came out well above expectations. In fact, even above the high end of expectations, 678,000 jobs created in February. But as far as I'm concerned, you can take those numbers with a grain of salt because the world has completely changed since these numbers were compiled given what's now going on in the global financial markets and what's going to be going on. Because even though the US markets have held up so far, they're not going to defy gravity for long, because even if the US is less exposed directly to what's happening in Russia, the US market was already in trouble based on how high the valuations are and based on the Fed raising interest rates and shrinking the balance sheet. Well, this is still going to happen. I'm going to get to that later in the podcast, but Powell told everybody the Fed is on track. The rate hikes are going to continue as planned. It doesn't matter what's going on in the markets. It doesn't matter what's going on with Russia. And so the rate hikes were going to be a problem for the market even before this situation. But now that you have global markets in turmoil, you have all this going on in the Ukraine, that just makes the rate hikes even worse. So the problems that the U.S. market had before Russia invaded the Ukraine. Those problems exist now, only now we have another problem on top of that. So we have a long way to go down in the U.S. stock market. If I was long a bunch of U.S. stocks, I would be very nervous about what's likely to happen on Monday. Now, one part of this jobs report, though, that some people took comfort in, and I think that that's false comfort, was the average hourly earnings number, which surprised everybody in that it was flat. The expectation was for a gain of a half a percent, and instead it was zero. I mean, the low end of the expectation was for a 0.4% increase. The prior month's 0.7% rise was actually revised down to just up 0.6%. And so that means the year-over-year gain in wages which was expected to be 5.8%, is only 5.1%, which is well below the 5.7% year-over-year gain that we had in January. Now, a lot of people looked at this number and said, oh, this is some relief on the inflation front. This shows that inflation is subsiding because wages are not up as much as we thought, and so that's good news for consumers. I think it's bad news for consumers. I think it means that if you have a job, your wages may be going up, but they're not going up nearly as fast as your cost of living because the pressure on consumer prices is going to persist. In fact, it's getting higher. All that's happening is the gap between wages and other prices is widening that means real wages are going to be falling even faster. So that makes inflation even more painful for people who are working. And of course, if you're not working, if you're just living on some kind of fixed income, you don't get any increase in that compared to the increase in the cost of living. So I don't see any relief in these numbers. I don't think They indicate that the inflation pressures are off, because remember, inflation is not caused by rising wages. There's no such thing as the wage price spiral. Wages are prices, and prices go up because of money supply going up, because the Fed is creating inflation, and they're going to create a lot more inflation. I don't care what the Fed is posturing right now, based on what's going on in the global economy and what's going to be going on in the U.S. economy. We're going to have a lot more inflation, but that's not going to stop the recession from coming. It's going to be stagflation, but the stagnation will be so bad and the inflation will be so bad that a better way to describe it will be an inflationary depression. In fact, looked at the ISM services number that came out on Thursday. This is for the month of February. They were looking for a 60.9% number. Instead, we came out at 56.5. That was below even the low end of the consensus, which ranged from 59.7 to 64. And in fact, earlier this week, the Atlanta Fed reduced its estimate for Q1 GDP down to zero. And so I think by the time the Fed does get around to lift off and delivers that first quarter point rate hike, the Atlanta Fed will already be projecting a negative quarter for GDP in Q1, meaning that will be halfway into a recession by the time the Fed starts raising rates and will be in a full-blown recession if it delivers any more. A lot of people who are buying life insurance make the mistake of buying whole life most people don't need insurance for the whole of life they just need to insure the people who depend on them during a certain fixed time period of their lives when your children grow up and they're on their own they no longer depend on you but when they do the important thing is to get the biggest bang for your buck and buy the biggest death benefit you can for the smallest amount of premium and that's where ladder comes in because they only sell term life insurance Ladder is 100% digital when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. There are no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. And to apply, all you need is a phone or a laptop and a few minutes to spare. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And if you prefer to talk to someone, they have a team of licensed agents standing by. And by the way, they don't work on commission, so they'll help you without trying to upsell you. There are no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time. And if you change your mind within the first 30 days, you can cancel and get a full refund. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. Since life insurance costs more as you get older, now's the best time to cross it off your list. Just go to ladderlife.com slash gold today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash gold to see if you're instantly approved. On Tuesday, President Biden delivered his State of the Union address, and as I anticipated during my last podcast, he grossly misstated the State of our Union. We have probably never been on the precipice of a bigger economic disaster than the one we're perched on right now. Clearly, we are close to a day of reckoning, a day that we're finally going to be held accountable for the sins of the past. Yet you would not have any idea that we're so close to something like that, listening to Biden describe the U.S. economy. And of course, take credit for a lot of things that he doesn't deserve credit for. For example, all of the jobs that he claims were created since he became president. Biden didn't create any jobs. If anything, Biden prevented jobs that might otherwise have been created from coming into existence. Yes, a lot of people are working today that were not working before Biden came president. But it's not because they didn't have jobs, they had jobs. They just left their jobs because of COVID. And all that happened after Biden was elected is that people who left their jobs when Trump was president returned to those same jobs well Biden was president. So it's not like some new jobs that didn't exist were created by Biden's economic policies. These jobs were there. It's just that the people who had those jobs weren't working at them because they went home because of COVID And when the economy reopened, they returned to those already existing jobs that now Biden wants to take credit for creating. And, you know, there are a lot of things that he said during that one hour State of the Union address that I could pick apart. But for the purpose of this podcast and brevity, I don't really want to get into all that. I want to just focus on one aspect of the State of the Union, and that is inflation. After taking credit for helping the economy grow with all the government spending programs. Biden then said that a lot of this is being undone by inflation, that inflation is robbing people of these gains, that Biden's economic policies really help the economy. They're creating jobs. They're causing wages to go up. So Biden took credit for all this good stuff, but then said that the good things that he was doing People were being denied those benefits. They were being stolen by inflation, as if inflation had absolutely nothing to do with Biden's policies. You see, what Biden doesn't seem to understand is when the government spends money for whatever economic stimulus programs it wants, there is a cost when the government runs a deficit, When the government doesn't pay for spending through taxation, if we just run deficits and the Fed prints the money, well then the programs are paid for through inflation. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online. And it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web. And in the process, helps prevent potential id theft doxing and phishing scams sign up and provide delete me with exactly what information you want deleted and their experts will take it from there delete me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found where they found it and what they removed delete me isn't just a one-time service delete me is always working for you constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet so take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for delete me Now at a special discount for my listeners today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindelete.me.com/gold and use the promo code GOLD at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindelete.me.com/gold and enter code GOLD at checkout. That's joindelete.me.com/gold code GOLD. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance. I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm, driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. That's harris.com slash gold for a $3 trial set.
1: Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot Me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.
0: The public is going to pay for government one way or the other, either directly through an honest tax or indirectly through a dishonest tax called inflation. So if Biden wants to claim credit for all this government spending, then he has to claim responsibility for all the inflation that was required to finance it. He can't pretend that he gave taxpayers all this great stuff, but then inflation came and stole it away from them. The inflation came from government. The government stole it. What the government gives with one hand, it takes with the other. So Biden, through the government spending programs with one hand, reached out and gave taxpayers some money, and then with the other hand, he's pick their back pocket through inflation to pay for it. So you can't say, I love all this government spending, but then pretend that the inflation that was a consequence of that government spending had absolutely nothing to do with that inflation. And that's why Biden is now trying to blame the inflation that he claims is robbing the taxpayers of all the good stuff that he's doing. He wants to blame it on greedy businesses, on businesses that are gouging their customers. It's the government, it's the Federal Reserve that's gouging businesses and consumers with inflation. But Biden is acting as if it's the free market. We don't have enough competition. We have too few companies. We got four companies that process beef and supposedly all of a sudden they're colluding to drive up prices and they're gouging their customers. They're taking advantage of them. And Biden claims that the way he wants to fight inflation is by creating more competition and by lowering costs, which is so ridiculous because first of all, one of the reasons that we don't have more competition is because of government. Government makes it harder for companies to survive and compete with other companies. All the regulations and all the taxes limit competition. So if you want more competition, we need less government, not more government. But the idea that the government is going to drive down costs, the government doesn't drive costs down. It drives costs up. Everything the government does increases the cost of business. I mean, any money the government spends has to be paid for by the private sector. So if Biden actually wants to reduce costs, he has to lower taxes. He can cut regulations because what government does with taxes and regulations is drive up costs. The only way they can bring those costs back down is to stop driving them up. So if they can lower the taxes that they've already imposed on businesses, if they can eliminate some of the regulations that they have already forced companies to comply with, then they could lower costs because the compliance costs of all those regulations, taxes that businesses are paying, they are passing those costs on to consumers. The one cost, though, that Biden doesn't seem to recognize is wages. Biden in his speech actually said that there are some people who want to fight inflation by driving down wages. Biden says, no, I don't want wages to go down. I want costs to go down. Well, what does he think wages are? Wages are a cost, they're the cost of labor. If you're a business, one of your costs is the wages that you pay your workers. So you can't talk about driving down costs and then leave wages off the table when wages are a big cost. I mean, the only way you can have higher wages and not have higher costs is if your workers are more productive. You can pay workers more if their productivity increases, but the government is not going to increase worker productivity. Everything that government does makes workers less productive. That's the problem. Biden acted as if the secret to driving down costs and having a more efficient economy is to make the government bigger and have the government spend more money. All that's going to do is make the economy less competitive. It's going to drive down productivity and drive costs up further. But really what Biden was doing with this whole speech is try to deflect the blame for inflation to the private sector, to greedy corporations and away from the true source of inflation, which is the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve. And that narrative has obviously been rehearsed because pretty much all of the Democrats are following Biden's lead and reading from that same script. Because if you listen to what a lot of the Democrats had to say during the two days of testimony where Powell was up on Capitol Hill for his semiannual testimony on U.S. monetary policy, all of the Democrats, whether in the U.S. Senate or in the House of Representatives, were repeating that same lie that the problem was businesses, that businesses didn't have to pass on these higher costs but they were greedy, and the reason that they were doing this is because we didn't have enough competition, and there's too much concentration of power, and so the Democrats want to use high inflation as an excuse for even more government and even more regulation when it's government that's actually responsible for inflation, which is the whole ridiculous part of the testimony where you have the chairman of the Federal Reserve that's printing all the money fielding questions from the congressmen who are spending all the money that the Federal Reserve is printing. So these are the two partners in crime that are 100 percent responsible for inflation. And they spend the entire hearing talking about how bad inflation is, what a horrible problem it is, and trying to point fingers at who might be to blame without anybody accepting responsibility That inflation is not here by accident and inflation is not here because some businesses got greedy. Inflation is here for one reason and one reason only. The government isn't spending money that it collects in taxes. It's spending money that the Federal Reserve prints. And if they actually want to do something about inflation, they need to cut government spending. They need to reduce the amount of money that's being printed. But there's no chance that that's going to happen. So inflation is going to get worse and worse, despite all this talk about trying to rein it in. You know, another thing that Biden said that people should do to fight back against inflation is to go out and buy electric cars. I mean, believe it or not, Biden actually advised Americans to just buy electric cars. If you're fed up with high gas prices, that's his solution. Go out and buy an electric car. And Biden said, if you do that, well, you can save 80 bucks a month. Okay, great. But where do you get the thirty dollars or $40,000 to go buy a brand new electric car? That is not a viable solution for average Americans. You know, it's kind of like Jimmy Carter telling people to wear sweaters instead of using their heat. That is not what the public wants to hear. Yeah, go out and buy an electric vehicle. The public wants lower gas prices. Unfortunately, they're not going to get lower gas prices. They're going to get much, much higher gas prices. And in fact, all prices are going to keep going up, not just because what's going on in Russia and the Ukraine, but what's been going on for years, in fact, decades in Washington, D.C., with all the deficit spending and money printing. But I want to talk more about what Powell said rather than what Biden said about inflation, because I watched the hearings, both the hearing on Wednesday before the House of Representatives and on Thursday before the U.S. Senate. One of the interesting comments that, Powell made early on in his testimony because somebody had asked him if he had watched the president's State of the Union address because he wanted Powell to comment on what Biden said about trying to control inflation by bringing down costs as if the federal government has any control over a business's costs other than driving them up with excessive regulation and taxation. And so in order not to answer the question, Powell basically said, well, I didn't watch the speech. Not like you even have to watch the speech. You can answer the question without watching the speech. But he was looking for a way to dodge the question, which is generally what he does. And so he said, look, I I didn't see the speech. And I think the congressman who had asked him that question, maybe he was like, well, why didn't you watch it? How could you not watch the State of the Union address? And Powell said, well, I had to prepare for this hearing. Right? That's why I had no time. I couldn't take an hour out of my day. I had to spend the whole day and the whole night preparing for this testimony, which right off the bat lets you know that his entire testimony is a lie. Because if Powell was going to be honest about what the Fed is doing and about the economy, he wouldn't have to prepare for the hearing. He would just answer the questions. Honest answers don't require preparation. First of all, his prepared remarks are written. He doesn't have to memorize them like he's in a play or something. He's got a teleprompter. He just reads what's there. So once it's written, it's there. You don't have to memorize it. So that doesn't take any preparation. Now, if you're going to answer questions honestly, well, again, you don't have to prepare. But if you're going to lie, if you're trying to be deceitful, well, that requires preparation because you got to prepare your lies. you got to kind of anticipate what questions might be asked and then come up with a lie to answer them. And then you have to kind of get your facts straight. Because if you're lying, you want to make sure that you don't contradict yourself. Now, when you're telling the truth, that's not a problem. If you answer questions honestly, then you're never going to do that. But if you're trying to deceive people, if you're trying to look, for ways not to answer questions or to answer them dishonestly well you got to make sure that you don't contradict yourself because you're going to forget when you're lying when you're telling the truth which lie you told so right up the bat the minute Powell said that i knew exactly why he needed so much preparation time and of course he didn't disappoint me i think that this two-day testimony was among the worst i've ever seen him give as far as how bad the answers were and anybody listening to this hearing, should have just wanted to go out and sell their dollars and sell their U.S. Treasuries. First of all, Powell did admit that inflation is imposing considerable harm. Well, yes, it is. And where is inflation coming from? It's coming from the Fed. It's coming from Congress. So it's the people in that room that are imposing that harm. It's not some boogeyman out there that nobody has control over. The Fed and Congress are imposing that harm. Now, one thing Powell said about inflation is that he expects the decline that we're currently seeing in inflation to continue throughout the year as the bottlenecks open up. Now, first of all, what is he talking about? Inflation is not declining, it's accelerating. It's already picking up. In fact, if you look at price increases so far in 2022, completed now two months, but if you look at prices, prices are going up a lot faster in 2022 than they were at this point in 2021. In fact, everything that you're seeing is indicating that inflation is picking up, not slowing down. So how is it that Powell can say that he expects inflation to decline in 2022 when there's nothing on the horizon that would indicate that that's actually going to happen? In fact, if you just look at what's happening now, inflation is picking up. And I would expect that trend to continue throughout the year. He also continued to reiterate how strong the U.S. economy was. He didn't say it was just strong. It was very strong. He also talked about the labor market being very strong, very tight. So we've got this booming economy, according to Powell. Then he says that he supports a 25 basis point rate hike. Why only 25 basis points? If we have a booming economy, can't you... Raise rates by more than 25 basis points? You know, especially considering the fact that in this testimony on Thursday in front of the U.S. Senate, he did admit that the low interest rates that we have right now are inappropriate given how strong the economy is. Well, if they're inappropriate, then raise them. I mean, why wait? Why raise rates very slowly if they're inappropriately low? Because if rates are too low, they're doing some harm to the economy. right? You're keeping interest rates lower than they should be and you're creating harm. Well, stop doing that. Raise rates up to an appropriate level right now. Don't just say, well, we're going to slowly raise them to an appropriate level because the longer they stay inappropriately low, the more damage they do. Again, that's what they did in 2004 and 5 and 6 when they were raising rates too slow and allowed the housing bubble to get much bigger than would have been the case had they moved quicker to put rates at an appropriate level. But the reason that Powell wants to drag his feet is because he's worried that if we go to a more appropriate level too quickly, the markets are going to tank. Well, they're going to tank anyway, so you might as well get it over with. But of course, Powell knows the minute the markets start to tank, well- He just abandons all the tightening. Powell also got some questions on Bitcoin. And I thought a very interesting response was Powell dismissed Bitcoin. And he said, well, Bitcoin is just used for speculation like gold. So in other words, Powell said that Gold is only used for speculation, that there's no difference between Bitcoin and gold because the only reason people buy gold is to speculate. Now, I guess Powell doesn't understand that there's an entire jewelry industry that uses gold. Jewelers are not speculating when they buy gold. They're making jewelry. There's also an entire industry that uses gold for other things like Conducting electricity and all sorts of properties that make gold very useful. Bitcoin doesn't have any of that. The fact that Powell doesn't understand that gold's an actual commodity that has a use. And by the way, there are a lot of central banks and foreign governments that hold gold as a reserve asset. They're not holding Bitcoin, they're holding gold. You would think the chairman of the Federal Reserve would understand some of the intrinsic value of gold and not simply say it has no value, that it's exactly the same as Bitcoin when there is a world of difference between gold and Bitcoin and the chairman of the Federal Reserve should know that. Now, there were some Republicans that would try to get Powell to admit that all the Biden spending is helping to drive inflation. Of course, they never want to talk about all the Trump spending that also helped drive inflation, but they're trying to pin Powell down, and he doesn't want to acknowledge that. But he did reluctantly admit that government spending was one of many factors that was contributing to inflation, but he then often tried to downplay that in terms of other things. He also got a question on the dollar's status as a reserve currency. And this answer really was ridiculous because he was asked what would happen if the dollar lost that status. It was no longer the reserve currency of the world. And according to Powell, it's no big deal. He said if the dollar lost its reserve currency status, that in the short run, we wouldn't even notice the difference, that it would be no big deal, that nobody would even know that the dollar was no longer the reserve currency. He thought in the long run it could diminish our stature. He wasn't sure what the implications would be, but he pretty much was confident that it didn't even matter whether we had that privilege or not, which shows you how clueless Powell is regarding the U.S. economy because the entire foundation of this bubble economy is built on that privilege. In fact, when he was speaking with the U.S. Senate, he spoke about how the U.S. economy was weathering the COVID crisis a lot better than other economies, that we were a lot stronger. And the only reason that that's the case, and it's not real strength, because look at our trade deficits and our budget deficits. We were just able to go deeper into debt to run bigger deficits, to postpone the consequences because of the dollar status as the reserve currency. But for that status, We would not have been able to rely on that crutch. And it's amazing how Powell takes that whole status for granted. The fact that we could print money and import real stuff. Because if the dollar wasn't the reserve currency, we couldn't do that anymore. So we couldn't import a trillion dollars a year worth of stuff that we didn't produce. We'd have to produce it ourselves. The ramifications for the dollars losing its reserve currency status are catastrophic And Powell says that we wouldn't even notice the difference. And also when he was comparing inflation in the US to inflation around the world, he acknowledged that in general, America has higher inflation than other economies. But he attributed that to the greater strength of our economy, that, yes, we have more inflation, but it's only because we have a stronger economy, when the reality is, if we had a stronger economy, we would have lower inflation, because stronger economies are more productive economies. They increase supply, and so you have lower prices. It's weak economies where you have less production, where you have higher prices. But an even more ridiculous answer had to do with monetizing the debt, because one of the Congressman asked Powell about debt monetization and was the Federal Reserve now going to admit that it's monetizing the debt? Because remember, Ben Bernanke back in 2009 told Congress that we're not monetizing the debt because we're only buying the debt temporarily and we're going to sell it back into the market. And of course, here we are in 2022 and all those bonds are still on the balance sheet plus trillions more. So you would think Powell would admit, okay, I guess we are monetizing the debt, but he repeated the same lie that Bernanke told. He said that the definition of debt monetization is when a central bank buys debt with the intention of holding it. But he said the Federal Reserve is not buying debt with the intention of holding it. The Fed is buying debt with the intention of selling it because the Fed is going to shrink the balance sheet. Well, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Who cares about what you intend to do? What matters is what you actually do. And clearly, the road to debt monetization is paved with good intentions because that's what the Fed is doing. It doesn't matter if they intend to shrink the balance sheet. What matters is it's not shrinking. It continues to grow. And even if they start shrinking it like they did when it was $4.5 and, and they shrunk it down to about $3.5 what difference does that make if now we're at $9 trillion? If you only shrink it a little bit and then you expand it even more, you are monetizing the debt. It's amazing that nobody wanted to call him out on the absurdity of his contention that even though the Fed is holding onto the debt and keeps buying more and more, that it's not monetization because they didn't intend to do it, even though they're doing anyway. And it's not so much that they intend to sell it. They're just pretending they're going to do it. And in fact, even when Powell talked about the balance sheet reduction, he admitted that none of the treasuries or mortgage-backed securities are going to be sold. He laid that out pretty clearly that the only thing that they were going to do is let the debt mature. So in other words, the bonds that the Federal Reserve bought, it's going to hold until they mature. Well, how is that not debt monetization? You're just holding them until they mature. Now, obviously, when they mature, you could take the money and roll them over. But as long as you don't roll it over, you didn't monetize it. Of course, you monetized it. You monetize it. You bought the bonds and you held the bonds all the way to maturity. I mean, what more could you do? But the reality is when these bonds mature, most of them are going to get rolled over because that's the only way the U.S. government can finance it is if the Fed continues to supply the credit. But then Powell went on to claim that debt monetization is not really the cause of inflation anyway, meaning, hey, even if we are monetizing the debt, that's not what causes inflation. Powell said inflation is caused by strong demand and supply shortages, which is pure nonsense. But what Powell doesn't seem to understand or what he doesn't want to admit is that the demand is coming from the money creation. It's coming from the debt monetization when the Federal Reserve increases the money supply to monetize government debt. That's where the demand is coming from. So you can't say, hey, debt monetization has nothing to do with inflation. It's because of strong demand, ignoring the fact that the strong demand is a direct result of the debt monetization. Then he later went on to claim that the US dollar was in fact sound money. And even though he acknowledged that the dollar could lose its status as the reserve currency and it wouldn't matter anybody because nobody would notice. He said that there wasn't really any risk of doing that because there was no alternative, that there was nothing that could replace the dollar because there's no other currency that's in a position to do it. And, you know, we're the incumbent. He talked about that and it's an advantage. And so we're already there. And so it's difficult for anybody to take our place. And when he was asked about what the threats might be to the dollar's reserve currency status. The only thing he can think of was another country with a superior currency, and he didn't see that happening. But he never once talked about the fact that inflation may run out of control, that we may have too much debt, that the loss of the dollar status may result from some fiscal and monetary problems here at home. He can only think about some potential competitor that might offer a better alternative, and therefore, since that wasn't going to happen, then there was no actual threat to the dollar's reserve status. He got a lot of questions, of course, mainly from the Republicans on fiscal policy, trying to get Powell to admit that big spending is going to contribute to inflation. And every time Powell got a question like that, he refused to answer it because he doesn't want to comment on fiscal policy, which is a coward's way out. Why can't he comment on fiscal policy to the extent that it contributes to inflation? If your mandate is to fight inflation and you're testifying before Congress and these are the guys that are passing fiscal policy that are spending money, don't you think Powell has a duty to let these congressmen, these senators know the effect their spending is going to have on the inflation? That's exactly why he's there. Powell should be saying, look... If you're going to run bigger deficits and I'm going to have to print money to monetize them, we're going to have more inflation. So if you want less inflation, you've got to cut government spending. But he keeps claiming that government spending has nothing to do with the Federal Reserve. It has everything to do with the Federal Reserve because it's the Federal Reserve that's buying the bonds that are being sold by the U.S. Treasury to finance that spending. And of course, government spending has an impact on interest rates. If they're going to run bigger deficits, you're putting more upward pressure on interest rates. The reason that Powell doesn't want to touch that topic is because he doesn't want to upset any of the Democrats by telling them that their spending is causing inflation. Of course, if he wants to be Nonpartisan, he can remind the Republicans that their spending contributed to inflation too. But, you know, he doesn't want to make any enemies. He wants to be friends with everybody. Powell also doesn't want to admit that the Fed made a real monetary policy mistake in saying that inflation was transitory and leaving interest rates too low for too long. Although, even though they will acknowledge now with the benefit of hindsight, what they thought was going to happen with the supply chain didn't. And so, inflation surprised the Fed by being a lot higher than they thought, okay, well, you were wrong, raise rates, stop doing quantitative easing. Even when it was obvious that the Fed got it wrong, they continued the same monetary policy that they were pursuing when they thought inflation was transitory. And again, I think the reason was they knew it wasn't transitory. They just lied. And the reason they're pursuing the same policies now as they pursued then is because they know what's going to happen if they change. If they really tighten monetary policy, then everything is going to collapse. So they have to keep making up excuses why they're not doing it. And again, I think, as I said in my last podcast, what's happening in Russia is going to give them all the excuses they need not to deliver anywhere near the type of rate increases that they're talking about, even though the ones that they are talking about doing are still too little to actually have any consequence when it comes to fighting inflation. In fact, one of the more startling admissions on inflation was that the Fed's goal is not to eliminate the inflation of the past. It's simply to reduce the future rate, bring it back down to 2%. In other words, Powell said, we're not trying to get prices to go back down to where they were. We just want to reduce the future rate of increase back down to 2%. So let's say consumer prices rise 20 or 30% over two or three years, and then two or three years from now, the Fed finally brings the inflation rate back down to 2% so that going forward- we increase 2% a year, then the Fed is happy with that. The Fed has done its job and everything is fine. The problem is you've had a permanent increase in the cost of living by 20 or 30%, and that never goes away. So if Americans are upset at how high prices are, what Powell is promising is not to bring those prices back down, but just to make sure that those high prices only go up by another 2% per year, which, of course, if prices are already too high, Why should the Fed want them to continue to increase by 2% a year? Why not have a goal of zero inflation or maybe have a goal of deflation? If prices are too high, how about a monetary policy that allows prices to come down? In fact, one of the aspects of this that nobody is talking about but me is last year, Powell specifically said that the Fed's goal is 2% average inflation, right? Because they wanted a pretense for allowing the inflation rate to be above 2%. So they had to make something up. And so they said, well, the reason that we're going to let inflation be slightly above 2% is because we had so many years where it was slightly below 2%. And so what we really want is 2% average. So when we talk about a 2% inflation target, we mean a rate that averages 2%. So if we have years where inflation is below 2%, then we need to have some years where it's above 2% so we can create an average. Now, at the time, I said that's obviously ridiculous. We don't need higher inflation in the future to make up for lower inflation in the past. That's all a lie. It makes no sense. In fact, the only reason that the Fed said we needed 2% inflation as opposed to 1 was because they thought 1 was too close to 0 and they think we have to have some positive inflation to give them room on monetary policy. And so they wanted to shoot for two just to make sure that we never had below zero. Well, if we already had an inflation rate above zero, then why do we have to make up for it? It was all a pretense to allow higher inflation. But what I said at the time was, okay, well, what if we way overshoot and we have three or four or five percent inflation? Now what are they gonna do? Because if we have a big increase in prices, by the time the Fed brings inflation back down to two percent, if we've averaged maybe two or three years of seven to ten percent inflation. And now we're back down to two. But the Fed's goal is to have 2% average. Well, what are you going to do about those two or three years where you were way above average? I mean, the Fed, if it's going to average down years of very high inflation so that over time, the whole average gets back down to 2%, we're going to have to target inflation of a half a percent or less for many, many years to come. Obviously, the Fed has already tossed that out the window. The Fed is never going to try to average down the massive inflation that we have right now. The Fed is going to ignore this incredible increase in the cost of living and simply focus on making sure that that additional increase in the cost of living is just 2% per year without any regard to what's happened in the past and without trying to average down too high inflation the way the Fed claimed it was trying to average up too low inflation course, a lot of the congressmen, senators, they wanted to blame the inflation, too, on the pandemic, right, as if the government had absolutely nothing to do with it. We could have approached the pandemic very different. We didn't have to run these huge deficits. We didn't have to print all this money. We chose to do that just because the pandemic was the excuse. We made the choice and we chose inflation. Nobody wants to level with the American public and tell them, yes, we're having to pay this price. But this is the cost of all the stimulus. You got a check. You didn't have a job. We sent you money. This is the consequence. There's no free lunch. Nobody wants to admit that. One of the senators asked Powell if he was willing to do whatever it takes, like Paul Volcker, to bring down inflation. Will you do whatever it takes? And Powell basically said, yes, we will do whatever it takes, which obviously is not the case. Because if the Fed was willing to do whatever it takes, it would have already done it. There is no reason to have allowed inflation to get this bad. In fact, there's no reason for rates to still be at zero. There's no reason for the Fed's balance sheet to still be expanding if the Fed was actually going to do whatever it took. In fact, if the investors believed that Powell was going to do whatever it takes to bring down inflation, the stock market would have crashed. The bond market would have crashed because the only way they're going to bring down inflation and restore price stability is to crash the economy. In fact, one of the questions that Powell got was how he was going to fight inflation without harming the economy or causing a recession. Now, the real answer would have been, I can't. If we're going to fight inflation, we're going to have a recession. There's just no way around it. We're going to have to raise interest rates substantially. We're going to have to cut down on the growth of the money supply. And the entire recovery that we had, the economy was built on cheap money. So if we're going to take that cheap money away, which we need to do, then the entire economy that was built on top of it is going to come collapsing down. So no, we can't fight inflation without hurting the economy. Right? We had a horrible recession under Paul Volcker when interest rates went up. But what Powell told Congress was, hey, don't worry. I'm going to raise interest rates. We're going to shrink the balance sheet, but we're going to do it with care. We're going to be careful and make sure that nothing that we're doing harms the economy. Well, that is impossible. So the only way that Powell can raise interest rates with care and shrink the balance sheet with care without harming the economy is to immediately stop the rate hikes or maybe reverse them as soon as that harm is obvious. That's the only way to do it because you can't do it with care. It is impossible. But nobody in Congress or nobody at the Federal Reserve wants to tell the truth. Yes, there is some medicine that we've got to swallow, but it tastes bad. They all want to pretend that, oh, it's going to taste great. Yes, we're going to get rid of inflation, but don't worry. This medicine is delicious. It's not And the only way we're not going to taste this bitter medicine is if we don't swallow it. And that's basically what Powell was saying. In fact, Powell's assurance that when it comes to raising interest rate and shrinking the balance sheet, that the Fed will exercise care to make sure that neither of those policies hurts the economy, that is completely inconsistent with his pledge to do whatever it takes to fight inflation. That he's willing to do it Paul Volcker style because those two statements are mutually exclusive. Because if you are committed to doing whatever it takes to fight inflation, then you can't exercise care not to hurt the economy because doing whatever it takes means you're willing to hurt the economy. You're willing to crash the financial markets if that's what's required to fight inflation, which means one of those two statements has to be a lie because they can't both be true. And as far as I'm concerned, my money's on the fact that his commitment to doing whatever it takes, that's what's not true. Because I think the minute Powell senses that what he's doing is really hurting the economy or the financial markets, then he will be careful. He will reverse course and allow inflation to get worse because the Fed is going to have to pick its poison, and I already know the poison it's going to pick. Another one of the ridiculous statements that Powell made had to do with the unsustainable fiscal path that the U.S. is on because one of the senators asked Powell if the Fed considered the impact of higher interest rates on the federal budget. Given the fact that we have $30 trillion in debt, when he raises interest rates, the cost to the government of servicing that debt is going to go up, right? So the senator asked Powell if the Fed factored that into its policy. And Powell said no. Powell said they don't even think about the unsustainable fiscal path. They don't even measure it. They don't model it as if this is happening in a vacuum, which has to be a lie. I mean, how can the Fed possibly not consider the impact of rising interest rates on the U.S. government? When it's obviously the elephant in the room, they're going to think about that elephant. But not only did Powell say that the Fed never even considers it, it doesn't even matter about it. If you combine that with the commitment to do whatever it takes to fight inflation, and if they're not even going to consider the impact of that fight on the federal government, which is the world's biggest debtor and which has the most to lose if interest rates go way up to fight inflation. But not only did Powell make that ridiculous statement, he also followed up by saying, yes, we're on an unsustainable fiscal path but now is not the time to do something about it. He said the time to do something about the fiscal problems is when the economy is strong. But of course, earlier during his testimony, he not only said the economy was strong, He said, it's very strong. Well, which is it? Now is not the time to deal with our fiscal problems because we have to wait until we have a strong economy, when according to Powell, the economy is not only strong right now, it's very strong. If the economy is very strong, then why don't we deal with the fiscal problems now? The truth is, we can never deal with the fiscal problems because then the economy won't be strong because it's a bubble. And it's only a bubble because we're not dealing with the fiscal problems. In fact, it's making the fiscal problem bigger. is blowing more air into the bubble. It's going deeper and deeper into debt. That is the reason that we have this phony recovery. And in fact, when they were talking about how strong the economy was under Trump and Trump was talking about we have the strongest economy in the history of the world, you didn't hear Powell telling Congress at that time, hey, we've got a strong economy. Let's start addressing the fiscal imbalances and the unsustainable path that we're on. No. And in fact, Powell stated on multiple occasions that that the reason we don't have to worry in the short run about the unsustainable path that we're on is because interest rates are really low. Well, now he's saying that he might raise interest rates dramatically like Paul Volcker if that's what it takes to fight inflation, yet ignoring the impact that would have on the unsustainable fiscal position of the U.S. government when he's already acknowledged that the only reason it's sustainable now is because we have low interest rates and he may have to remove those low interest rates to fight inflation. But maybe one of the most ridiculous comments that Powell made that was clearly a lie was when he was asked again about the timetable for quantitative tightening, how the Fed was going to go about shrinking its balance sheet, Powell's answer was, well, We don't really know yet because we're not going to start shrinking the balance sheet until after we start the first rate hike. So first got to start raising rates and then we're going to come up with a plan to shrink the balance sheet. And that after the first rate hike, they're going to begin working on a plan to shrink the balance sheet. But, you know, they hadn't actually started working on the plan yet and they're going to start working on it after they hike rates which makes absolutely no sense. The Fed has been talking about shrinking the balance sheet for years. And you're telling me that they haven't even devoted any time to thinking about how they're going to do that? Like, yeah, we're not even going to start planning yet. We'll start figuring this out, you know, at some point in the future. What do these guys do all day? They play cards? I mean, they don't have that much to talk about. They're meeting all the time. These guys have full-time jobs. One of the biggest problems that the Fed is looking at is how to shrink this massive balance sheet. And you're telling me they haven't spent any time talking about how to do it? They're just procrastinating all that? I mean, maybe one of the guys at the FOMC said, hey, why don't we try to figure out a plan for how we're going to shrink this balance sheet? And someone said, nah, let's just wait. You know, why do that now? Let's just hold off. And, you know, we got plenty of time to come up with a plan. The reason that they have to lie is because there is no plan, because it's impossible. There is no way to do this. There is no timetable that they can come up with, no magic bullet that's going to allow the Federal Reserve to shrink this massive balance sheet without collapsing the whole economy. And so that's why they don't do it. In fact, probably it's the same reason that they don't want to model how higher interest rates would impact the U.S. government because if they stick that into their model and then run some simulation, it's going to show a massive economic implosion. So rather than model something that they know is a disaster, they're just going to ignore it so they don't have to face reality.